Don't miss Old Navy's Saturday Steal. All shorts are 50% off. Graphic tees and tanks are 5 bucks for adults, 4 bucks for kids. And sunglasses are 5 bucks. Saturday at Old Navy. Valid 518 select styles on tees, tanks, and sunnies. Excludes active, licensed, and in-store clearance shorts. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. You can visit them either at that website or at their store on Franklin Street. I'm your host for this one, John Siegley. It's been a while since we've had a podcast, but we've got a really good lineup today. I'm pleased to be joined by Mike Ingersoll, Taylor Vipolis, and then later on, EJ Wilson will be jumping in as well. Mike, it's been, like I said, probably a solid month or two since we've last had a pod. What's new with you, man? Everything going okay? Everything's good, man. Just living that big law firm life. And uh, I was up in Raleigh uh, the last couple of days, which was which was nice to get back up in the triangle. Um, I did not, as we talked about off air, did not have a chance to watch the Canes game, uh, although they lost. So I guess I didn't. I didn't miss much, but uh, it was nice to nice to be back up in the triangle. Maybe not necessarily Raleigh, although I, I guess I was an RTP, so I was closer to Chapel Hill. I got to eat at Maggiano's at South Point Mall the other night, which which was a nice change of pace. I haven't been there since sophomore year when we were shoveling pasta in our throats trying to <laughs> gain weight. Nice. All right. Well, Vipless, how about you, man? What's uh, what's your off season been like so far? Uh, you know, I'm holding it down in uh, right outside Washington D.C., but Mostly so far in the off season, I've still just been watching a lot of sports, um, Premier League soccer. I have my Knicks with the lottery last night. Unfortunately, didn't go the way I wanted to getting that number one pick. But, you know, I'll I'll settle with the number three pick. And uh, even though the Liverpool, my EPL team didn't win the title, I'll settle for a uh, spot in the Champions League championship. Yeah, soccer's still going on. Champions League finals coming up soon. EJ, what about you, man? Been following any sports here since football and basketball wrapped up? And overall, how things going for you? Really haven't been doing a lot. Working, wedding planning, so I haven't had a chance to watch many sports. Uh, so that's really it. Had my nose to the uh, to the grindstone, man. Well, guys, I really do appreciate everyone joining me still. And, you know, it, it is kind of that slow season. You know, Buck Sanders mentioned it in one of his – columns yeah i guess it was this week or maybe last week that finding you know real stories is kind of difficult but since it has been a while since we've had you guys the former letterman on just felt that we could you know kind of take a mile high view of the coaching staff they have been on campus now for a few months so just this is going to be kind of a podcast just going to be getting y'all's thoughts on the coaches i'm hoping that you guys have watched some of the interviews just been paying attention to what they've been doing on social media and stuff like that. So let's go ahead and just get this one started. And, you know, Vipolis, since you're kind of the, the icy media guy, wanted to go ahead and get your thoughts first. What is your impression of this coaching staff now that they have been in Chapel Hill? I guess it's been about six months now. It's almost half a year coming up. So, you know, looking back at over this time frame, how do you think the staff has done so far? I think this staff has kind of exceeded my expectations so far. Um, I think they're way ahead of where the the talent level of the current players on the team are. And I think you're kind of seeing that with this recruiting class that they're currently working on for 2020, which is currently ranked ninth after um, the quarterback Malik just committed. 
So I think they have a really good coaching staff. I think it's a good mix of, you know, guys that could go out and recruit, guys that won at the highest level, guys like Dre Bly who have been in these players' spots before and know what it's like and know what it takes to get to the NFL. And it's it's a good staff that's put together where if you're a player, no matter what you're trying to get out of your experience and at UNC, somebody on your coaching staff knows how you could get there and knows the necessary steps that it's going to take to get there and the necessary work that it's going to get. And then it's just about, you know, trusting the process, believing in what these coaches are saying, and then trying to get up to the level that these coaches want their players playing at in Chapel Hill. And then EJ, let me get your thoughts on the defensive side, especially defensive coordinator Jay Bateman. You know, he's been kind of in a few videos. And then, of course, you had Coach Cross, who was the one that started the get this work, which was a really cool thing that the team has kind of really latched onto. So when you're looking at the defensive coaches, you know, has anything about them kind of stood out to you over these last few months? The thing that stood out to me mostly is really their personality and and the way they seem to be able to connect with the players and connect with the fans in the community. Uh, I think that's really something that's that's been understated. And over the past few years, we really haven't seen that out of our our assistant coaches or our coaching staff as a whole. They they seem more relatable. They seem more in touch and in tune with with what's going on with their players and what's going on with the fans. and they're high energy guys. I mean, Coach Cross, I I, I would have loved to play for him. I mean, of course, I love playing for the coaches that I had in Carolina, but he just seems like a high energy guy, a guy that'll do anything for his players and do anything for the team in general. So it just excites me to see things like that, to see coaches not scared to to show their emotion in public and, and show who they really are in private with their players to everyone else. So you really get a glimpse to see what type of what what type of men these are around these young men and why they like as Taylor mentioned. This is a coaching staff that's set up to to make these guys be successful on and off the field. And I just love what, what Coach Bateman is doing with, with mixing it up, with being very aggressive on defense. I do think we have we have good personnel to, to run the kind of defense that he wants to run. I just think that uh, some of our guys on the outside need to bulk up a little bit, but I do like what he's uh, showing on defense. Yeah, going back to Coach Cross, in one of the videos, you know, he got, like, brought to tears – he was so passionate talking and kind of like what EJ was saying, I think he's not coming in with the players aren't looking at him with this like outsider mentality. They could see how much he cares, how much he's buying into the program. And that's exactly the type of coach that you want to play for and you want to have on your side. Absolutely agree with that. And he has been kind of the talk of the offseason so far coach cross inside carolina ran the story on him earlier this week and uh kind of went into that let's get this work mantra that's that's taken over the team but you know on the offensive side i think that there's been a lot of conversation there where people have been really doing some good deep dives into phil longo and the new offense so mike when you've been looking at the offensive coaches kind of give us your overall view of your take on them so far well, I mean, right now the offseason, the only measuring stick you have really is is recruiting. I mean, there's you don't get a ton of information from the spring game, and there's not a whole lot you get out of spring practices just because there's all of that is fundamental based. It's not uh, you're not game planning, and you're not really into the crux of, um, or I guess you haven't hit the the peak of player development at that point. You know, you, players are generally fully developed for the season by about game three, game four. Um, so during the springtime, it's a lot of technique work and it's a lot of just it's a, it's literally just practice. 
Um, so it's hard to it's hard to get a gauge on uh, coaching ability during the springtime just because you don't know what to measure the players against from a development standpoint. Um, year one to year two, you'll really be able to tell, um, you know, development from a coaching standpoint. But in terms of recruiting, I mean, I don't think it's any secret that this staff has been recruiting its ass off. Uh, and what's attractive to young players, especially on the offensive side, is the air raid offense that Phil Longo is bringing in and, and the characterization of it as an air raid offense because fans and high school players alike don't really know what that offense is going to look like from an X's and O's standpoint. The only people that know that are actually up on the fourth floor of the football center in those meetings and uh, and the players in the meeting rooms. So the general reputation of Longo's offense and the production he had at Ole Miss is obviously uh, has has made an impact on the recruiting trail, and hopefully it will continue to do that. Obviously, we got a four-star quarterback today, the Malik kid that I know the coaches were were high on, and they'd been after him for a while, and it. It's, it's continued our ascent up the of the recruiting rankings here. This, um, you know, early in this in this ranking process for next season's class, but all that is extremely encouraging. And you know, for those coaches to come in to many, many if not most of them, not from North Carolina, come in. Mac Brown being out of the state for you know for however ever many, however many decades he'd been out of the state's recruiting trails um, to come back in and have his coaches acclimate. Uh, as well, and not just survive, but excel on the trail is very, very, very encouraging. And what it really does, it, I don't know that it's necessarily going to amount to a ton of wins and equate to a bunch of wins next year. But what it does is it creates a foundation for the staff and for this program moving forward, a talent foundation um, that I think is going to pay dividends come year two, year three. So I've been telling people, continue to keep your expectations low for this year. Um, and just be pleasantly surprised with the successes that they have. Come year two, year three, I think you're going to see a different situation. I think higher expectations will be warranted because of the talent pool the staff has obviously brought in. One of the things that I forget who mentioned it on the Rams Club tour, it might have been Brewster, but he was kind of saying along the lines of what Mike said, where you know the results might not be exactly what fans kind of expect this year like this unbelievable turnaround but the fans just have to have this kind of like blind faith for just a year you know attending games showing your support for the players and then giving this giving this staff a chance to kind of build the their ideal team for year two so I wouldn't get my expectations crazy high for year one and I don't think that's fair for you know the players on the team I don't think it's fair for the coaches on the team but it's something like Mike said, you're you're building this foundation for the future. Yeah, I think you guys have both touched on a very good point there where, you know, the results for this season, it's going to be kind of a mixed bag. I mean, Carolina starts off the year with a very, very difficult stretch of games. Frankly, I'm in kind of the group that just wants Carolina, if they can go six and six, that's a win. But let's focus back on the recruiting part and the recruiting this year. You guys touched on it that UNC currently has the number nine ranked class right now after the Hornsby commitment. But they've also what I feel like is is a very big deal. They've been able to recruit four star guys on the defensive side of the ball as well. You know, EJ, it's kind of the common thing where people say uh, that on the defensive side, it's more Jimmy's and Joe's than X's and O's. But with Jay Bateman and his scheme, I think that he is one of the coaches that can elevate players. But do you think that just overall, if Carolina is going to succeed on that side of the ball, they do really need to just get the absolute best guys that they can? 
I think it's a good mix. I mean, you have to get the absolute best guys that you can because you want to be competitive. You want to give your team the best chance to win. But you, you take a look back at our Carolina team. I mean, we weren't stacked with a bunch of four- and five-star recruits, yet we still sent a lot of guys to the NFL. And I think it's going to benefit some of those fringe players. Like, we're getting a lot of four-star recruits right now. But later in the recruiting process, I think it's going to be those three-star guys and those two-star guys that are going to really benefit from uh, Coach Bateman's defensive scheme because you're going to take some of those tweener uh, defensive end guys, some guys that may be too small to put their hand down or maybe not athletic enough to be a linebacker and stick them in that position, and they can excel. I mean, you look at any 3-4 defense, in the, whether it be the NFL, college, high school, football, you usually have dominant players on the edge. I mean, no matter what defense you, you're playing, you have to have dominant players on the edge. So I think that they're going to have some four-star guys that are going to come in and fill in on some of those key positions. But I think with the versatility of this defensive scheme, I think you can be, you can kind of experiment with some of those guys you put out there on the edge. I mean, you you can see this coaching staff is really willing to experiment. I mean, they have Bell, a guy that, that, it's coming into his senior year that had been playing in the secondary his whole career and is showing up in the spring game doing a very good job, I thought, playing wide receiver. So I think it's a good mix of both, but I don't think that you have to. It's mandatory to go out and get four- and five-star recruits to have a great defense, but I'm just glad that we are doing that. <laughs> well, you saw starting around 2011 was a lot of these college programs and consequently a lot of high school programs started shifting towards the 3-4 defense. And part of the reason for that was it's a whole lot easier to recruit really good athletes and teach them how to become pass rushers. Guys that, like EJ was describing, are tweeners, right? They're, they're long, they're athletic, they're fast, but they don't really fit into any defined position. Well, a 3-4 defense with two rush linebackers on the outside allows you to plug those guys on the edge and just let them go. Um, and then you can take some of your faster secondary guys and drop them down into the line, in, into that, in that four linebacker look, or however you want to set it up, um, to to, you know, to fill the gaps and basically make up the difference uh, that you would from what you would normally have with a hand in the ground defensive end in your traditional four three defense. Um, so you saw a lot of college programs shifting towards that three four, primarily because it was just so much easier to find athletic guys and just plug them in and let them go be athletes instead of trying to find defensive ends specifically three techniques specifically nose tackle specifically a middle linebacker specifically a wheel linebacker or guys at complementary positions maybe a level back so i'm thinking you know a strong safety that can bump down to will linebacker a will that can bump to middle linebacker right a sam linebacker that can drop can drop down to a rush defensive end position that sort of thing sort of where you just you just position down one position group um, throughout your defense now you can just recruit a guy that is just a freak athlete and you can tell him you're going to get into a two-point motorcycle stance and you're going to go off the edge every single play and consequently what you've seen is because colleges are recruiting that way and because you've seen a shift towards uh three four defense now as the predominant defense keep in mind it you know it used to, we used to call it an odd defense for two reasons number one uh it, odd was just it was it was easy to characterize as an offensive lineman right you got two fists out to the side in your head one two three as three down linemen right that's that's a general hand signal for odd but it's also it was also odd because not a lot of teams ran it all right that's one of the reasons why coaches would call it an odd defense because it looked odd um along with the odd number of defensive linemen with their hand in the ground now you're seeing the three four as the predominant go-to defensive front 
And the NFL has caught on to that because the guys coming out of college, because they were undefined players position-wise coming out of high school, were put into a relatively undefined position as a rush outside linebacker in a 3-4 defense, right? Sort of a hybrid position. They went into the pros the same way that they came out of high school as hybrid guys. So the pros have now caught on, and you've seen a trickle, almost a trickle-up effect Right. It started in college. It affected the way high schools ran their defenses and, and their defensive schemes. And then it sort of leapfrogged and then made its way up to the NFL. And now you're seeing a three, four as the standard defense because guys train differently. Now they're a little more athletic. They can do different things. And the three, four allows you to showcase those athletes better than a traditional four, three. I think that's a really good description of the defense and just overall kind of how you guys have both talked about the talent levels and how coaches have been adjusting to that. You know, Viplis, when you were looking at the spring game, let's switch it over and look and talk about Phil Longo and the offense. What did you see kind of in that very small glimpse into his style? And how do you think the team is adapting and learning it? From everything I've heard, his playbook is really simple. You know, we used to get like, uh, a binder with pages and pages and pages of your install and all the plays. Like, I think we had up to like 10 days where we were learning a different part of the playbook. And then every, uh, after those 10 days, it was all about, you know, kind of putting it all together. But from what I've heard, his playbook is, it's really short, really condensed. It's not too hard for these guys to go out and you're not thinking, you're not thinking a ton. It's, you know the the general plays you're going to run, um, whether it's, you know, 10, 15 plays. And it allows you to do less thinking and just more reacting. And when you're when you're not thinking out there, that's when you're playing the best football. Because when, you, when you're thinking, you know, the second, a, like a bad thought or maybe I have this, maybe I have that, that's when the mistakes start coming in. You're playing slower. So the way Phil Longo's offense is with that condensed version, it allows these guys to just play really fast. And you saw a little bit of that in the spring game. And I think you're going to see more of that come this fall once these guys just keep getting more reps, keep getting more reps. The one thing I did like in the spring game, I liked the the quick passing game, um, especially when Sam Howell was in, just seeing him you know, identify what kind of defense they were in at the line get an idea of if his first read was going to be open and, you know, a quick, a quick little drop back, get the ball out, let the playmakers do the rest. So I really like the quick passing game. And um, I thought I'm lucky. I'm not the quarterback coach who has to decide which one of these three quarterbacks is going to play, because I think what it comes down to for Carolina is three of maybe your best 10 players on this team all play a quarterback and you're only getting one of those guys to play. And that's the decision of who is the starting quarterback this year is a decision that can impact, you know, all of these guys, their next four years. All right, let's take a very quick commercial break. When we get back, EJ actually wanted to talk with you about your observations from the spring game and kind of your thoughts on the defensive scheme of what you saw there. So let's go ahead and take that commercial break. We'll be right back after this. 
Let's take a moment to talk about our friends at Johnny T-Shirt. They are a very long-term supporter of Inside Carolina and the Inside Carolina podcast, and they are your place to go to for Carolina gear. Johnny T-Shirt has been a Franklin Street tradition for over 35 years, and they are one of the absolute iconic locations there on campus. They are locally and alumni-owned with a great staff that puts great value on customer service. It is really top-notch. When you go into Johnny T-Shirt, they make you feel like you are a part of the family. They are your place to go to for Carolina gear because it is their focus. They have a terrific selection of anything that you might want from memorabilia to jerseys to clothing and everything in between. And if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get your exclusive 10% off discount on all of your purchases. You can use that either in their Chapel Hill store or at johnnytshirt.com. That's johnnytshirt.com. So even if you live out of state, and you still need that Johnny T-shirt fix, you can go there to order anything that you need Carolina-related. So support Johnny T-shirt and support the Inside Carolina podcast. Visit their website, johnnytshirt.com, and visit their store when you're in town on game days. And we're back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Mike Ingersoll, Taylor Vipolis, and EJ Wilson. As I mentioned before we went to the commercial break, EJ, let's get your thoughts on what you saw from the defense because I was very impressed with just how much pressure the defensive line was able to get. And they really varied their lanes of attack there against that offense. You know, it was just, again, as I mentioned earlier with Taylor and the offense, it was a small glimpse. But were you encouraged? And did you kind of see anything that looked like it could be something that the Heels could really rely on during the season just from that small glimpse into the new scheme? I think it was very encouraging, and and I think the amount of pressure that we got, uh, I think it was the real deal, and I think you can attribute that to two things. One is uh, the versatility of Coach Bateman's defense. I mean, he's going to show you a lot of different fronts. He's going to send guys from everywhere. He's blitzing every play. So it's going to keep the offensive linemen on their toes, and it's going to give the defensive linemen a lot more freedom in in their rushes. And the second part I want to attribute that to is just Coach Cross working with those guys. I mean, you can see the a different a different confidence and a different bounce in the guys when they were out there on the field. They had a different swagger. They, it kind of reminded me of of uh, of the defensive line the group that we had together when I was there. I mean, they just seemed they seemed a lot more in tune with each other. Like they they could almost guess what the other one's going to do. So you see a lot more of people recovering for each other. You don't see, you didn't see a lot of open, wide open lanes for the quarterback. You saw a very disciplined, very relentless, a uh, great rush. And I mean, even outside of the pressures, there were a lot of great individual rushes. I mean, uh, Chris Collins, for one, I think he's going to be going to have a surprise year. I think he's going to see a lot of time at that hybrid defensive end outside linebacker position. And I think he he's really going to shine. So, I'm very encouraged by by what I saw. And like I said in many podcasts and said many times before, it starts up front. It starts up front with the defensive line. The defensive line makes the the linebackers' reads easier in the run game. They make it easier for the secondary to hold their coverage uh, in the passing game. So I was very encouraged by what I saw, and I do think it's something that they can double transfer over to the season, especially with those guys going to summer another summer in the strength and conditioning program, another summer to kind of do some film study on their own, get together, run through, uh, work on some of their rush patterns, work on some of their games, because the summertime is really where that happens. During spring ball, you don't have really a lot of time to really personalize your rush because you're working on the X's and O's, and as Mike mentioned, the technique of things. So the summertime where you have a lot more free time, uh, you have a lot more access to the facilities in the field, 
you can go out and, and, and grab a couple buddies and say, hey, I was thinking about this rush or I was thinking about, about that. So I, I just think that we're going to see a, a way different pass rush this year. I know that the coaching staff is saying not to get our hopes up, but our, my expectations are a little higher for this defensive unit than they were for last year's. Let's talk about the offensive line real quick. And it was a unit that was very up and down last year. They had some games where they were really good. They had some, though, where they struggled. Mike, when you're looking at the job that new offensive line coach Stacey Serrells has in front of him, what are kind of some of the main areas where you think they do need to improve if they're going to protect the quarterback? And like Vipla said, (laughs) whoever ends up back there, it's going to be paramount, though, that they are kept clean because they're going to have limited experience. What do you think about the offensive line group heading into the summer and into the season? Well, I mean, I think a primary point of emphasis is going to have to be interior protection. You got to understand your three, your, if teams are on a four man front, right? Your three technique and your nose have the quickest path to the quarterback. They're the closest to him. Um, if they're running a three, four, if you have any inside blitzers, which you always will. So people between, you know, between the ends or the outside linebackers, um, any, any, anybody shooting those gaps, they have the quickest path to the quarterback. And we've struggled with interior protection over the last few years, unfortunately. Um, and that's not an admonition of Coach Cap. I thought Coach Cap was a good offensive line coach. It was just for whatever reason we were struggling on the inside um, in twist games and and things like that, keeping pressure off the quarterback. Our tackles were relatively sound for the past few years. Um, we have uh, Charlie Heck coming back, so he's been relatively highly rated the past couple of years. And I know he's very highly regarded nationally coming into this season. And, and, and I think he'll have his, he'll have his shot. Um, he'll have a shot at the NFL. I think he's going to have another good year. I, I haven't seen him really struggle the last couple of years that he's been in Chapel Hill. So I'm not concerned so much about the tackles in pass protection. I am concerned about the inside three. And that's not because I don't think the guys we have aren't good players. It's just because history tells me and history being the last few years that we've had problems protecting on the inside. In the run game, it's just moving guys off the ball. Um, you know, we're going to be running a higher-paced offense. So the good news is the pass will be the primary look and the run will be secondary. It's sort of the inverse of traditional football knowledge and football wisdom, right? You you run the ball in order to set up the pass. Well, the way this offense is going to work, we're going to pass to set up the run. And I think that's going to work to our advantage. Um, it should spread things out. Uh, from a, a blocking assignment standpoint, defense should be relatively spread out on their heels a little bit. I think that's going to work to our advantage. When you have when you have a defense spread out like that, spread a little thin, getting movements a little bit easier, your assignments are a little bit easier, running lanes are obviously there naturally um, just from the nature of the scheme and from the nature of the defensive approach. So again, I think inside interior protection with our inside three guys is going to be first and foremost the most important thing we can do, especially if we're going to have young quarterbacks playing or a young quarterback playing Uh, we need to keep him healthy keep his jersey clean and keep guys out of his face so he can just worry about improving and getting better for the for this year and for the future and then the run game it's just going to be moving people so we can get gashes in the run game you know when we use that as our change of pace from the pass from an offensive perspective after the spring offensive line I would say would be my biggest concern for this North Carolina team you have JJ McCargo medically retires he was your only true center really on the roster so now you're shifting Nick Polino like Mike mentioned you have Charlie Heck who's Charlie Heck and Nick Polino are your only two guys who have really played a lot but now you're moving Nick Polino out of his true position at guard to center and then the rest of the guys on the offensive line you have 
William Barnes, Jordan Tucker, Ed Monolis were the other three kind of starters that were in there um, basically every practice. And none of those three have 120 snaps. I think Barnes was the most with a little more than like 110. Tucker was at somewhere around 80. And then Ed Monolis has never played a college snap before. So it's a really inexperienced group. And just one that's going to have to come together in the position that you need the most continuity. It's a group that really doesn't have any, and they have to build that really fast. Let's go ahead and talk about something that I know the Inside Carolina message boards have been discussing over and over and over again since he was hired, and that's new strength and conditioning coach Brian Hess. There's been a lot of positive feedback from the fans, from the players themselves. They've gone on social media and talked about Coach Hess and how much they appreciate him. EJ, what have you heard? And based on what you've seen about Coach Hess, how do you think the direction of the program with regards to strength and conditioning will be looking going into this next season? Well, I've heard nothing but great things about uh, about a coach before he got there and now. I mean, I was excited uh, when we got him, uh, just hearing about his reputation and knowing how important what a strength coach means to the program. Uh, we've mentioned before and how, how highly we've spoken about our uh, strength coach, Jeff Connors, and what he meant to us because that's the person that you're going to be spending – the majority of your time on campus with. So I, I'm very encouraged by, by the, by the way direction we're heading And The main thing is not necessarily a change. And I, I'm not seeing an immediate change and explosion. Of course, you're not going to see that this quickly. They haven't really had, haven't gotten to the meat and potatoes of the strength and conditioning program like they will uh, during the summer, but to hear kids excited and hear players excited about their strength coach and excited about going in and working hard. That's what you want to hear because that means that he's going to get the most out of them. I mean, every strength coach has, has the education and knowledge. I mean, their qualifications and what they're teaching kids, most of it is the same, but it's really how can you connect with the player? How can you motivate him to get more out of him than what he thought he could? I mean, there have been many days where we thought we were going to throw up or we just wanted to give up, but we can hear Coach C in the back of our head just encouraging us in his own way to be better. So the fact that the team is kind of rallied around uh, this this coach, I mean, it's almost like this whole coaching staff has been here for longer than a year, the way that they've just connected with the players and the, the respect and affinity that the players have for their coaches. So all of that is just encouraging. And when it, and when it trickles down to strength and conditioning, well, to hear it trickle down that far and to hear players openly speak out and to take the time to go on their social media to talk about a strength coach, I think is, is very encouraging. Yeah, everything I've heard about Coach Hess has been really encouraging, really positive. Um, I'd love to go into the weight room and, you know, see him coach, see how he operates, just kind of going off what EJ said, seeing how he connects with the players, how he's in there motivating them. If he's if he's a hands-on guy, teaching them, you know, the proper technique, or if he's walking them through any exercises or any drills. And then I would also want to, you know, sit down and talk to him and see, you know, what his focuses are on just because, you know, I I knew coach Lou, I worked out with coach Lou and just kind of comparing the two, because um, from what I've heard, they're pretty different, but, you know, I'd like to see that actually for myself in person. So, you know, if coach has, I'm giving him the open invitation, if he wants to invite me down, put me through a workout for a video. I'm more than willing to do that. You know, I've been going to the gym fairly regularly. I'm not going to say who I'm going to the gym with. No free ads to anybody. But, you know, I'm I'm in there if Coach Hess wants me in there. I think that was a little bit of a humble brag there from you, Taylor. <laughs> just 
just a little bit. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not maxing out my bench anymore, but I'll give you five good reps. I mean, Mike, EJ, like, are you guys just, just going to come on here and boast about how y'all keep on going to the gym and, you know, playing weight and all that? Have you seen Have you seen EJ Wilson recently? He is not going to the gym. Oh, that's fat. That's fat shaming, and I have this hard. <laughs> it's 2019. I'll take my chances. There you go. Uh, well, hey, Mike, I want to get your thoughts on one aspect of the strength and conditioning program, and that is the fact that we've kind of heard that Coach Hess has devised a little bit of different workouts depending on groups, and you know, it, he's apparently trying to make things more tailored according to, I guess, what these specific needs and what the coaching staff wants out of their different positions. Do you think that that is something that, number one, would be good overall for the program? And number two, is that something that is innovative or is that something that you have seen in other programs that they kind of specialize their workout routines? Well, yeah, first question is, is it good for the program? Yeah, it's not just good for the program. It's necessary for the program. Um, Different guys need different training. Different body types need different training. And the different position groups have different demands. Um, Offensive linemen don't need to be able to run for you know 40 yards in in 4.6 seconds there's just no need for that what they do need to do is have lower body explosion and posterior uh posterior strength so that they can drive through another human being and put them into the dirt um that is a different kind of training than change of direction center of gravity um and speed training that you'll get with receivers and skill groups um in terms of whether it's innovative it's i mean it's it's not um you don't hear about it a lot because Strength and conditioning coaches don't, you know, aside from the initial when they're first hired, the initial this is what the guy does. This is how players performed at their previous stop. You really don't ever hear about them um, again after that. There's not a ton of commentary on them. They're not the sexy coach, you know, that fans want to talk about on message boards and in the media and things like that. But, you know, I I can't speak to uh, Lou Hernandez's program, but I do know that Coach Connors, when he was with us um, and he when he was at Carolina for all those years, we had, I guess you'll call them specialized workouts, but there were certain, you know, there, was a, there was a general base workout that you know everybody did because there are certain base lifts that everyone needs to do um, in, in, in any given workout, whether it's upper body or lower body, heavy upper day, lower or heavy lower day, or explosion, you know, explosiveness days. But as you'd get into the teeth of the workout, I know offensive linemen would work different drills, train different muscle groups, and train different motions to work on different ranges of motion than some other position groups would do. And receivers, uh, defensive backs, you know, so your skill players would have one type of one one type of uh, workout. You know, we're talking auxiliary lifts, so the stuff you do in between your core lifts. So you call bench a core lift. That's a foundational lift. You'll have auxiliary lifts. You'll do usually a push and a pull. So your bench is a push. You'll have a pull, some variation of curls or pull-ups or some type of explosive movement. That ancillary or auxiliary lift would be different a lot of the times uh, for skill players than it was for combo players. So your linebackers, running backs, tight ends, um, and it's different for offensive linemen and defensive linemen than it is for those other two groups. So specialization isn't necessarily an innovative idea. It would surprise me if there are strength coaches out there well, I should say it wouldn't surprise me that there are strength coaches out there who have not adopted this yet. Those are the programs that probably aren't winning games or aren't uh, upper, you know, higher tier programs. But I would say that the vast majority of strength coaches at the Division One level know what they're doing 
And part of knowing what you're doing is knowing that you do have to specialize and tailor workouts for your position groups because different bodies have different requirements from a training perspective. And I'll tell you what, Taylor, real quick, since, you know, you were in the program uh, under Coach Lou, the specialized workouts, is that anything that you think is new to the program? I wouldn't say it's necessarily new to the program. I know when I was there, our workouts, the skill position guys, our workouts were a little different than the linemen who were doing, you know, more of the heavy lifting. And then the quarterbacks and the specialists, they were off kind of doing their own thing. The quarterbacks were more working on like their arm strength and um, the specialists were working on more of uh, lower leg stuff. But um, we did have specialized stuff, but I don't think it was as in-depth as uh, it sounds like Coach Hess is kind of getting into. All right, good deal. We'll see then what the changes are. And I think, EJ, you hit on it there where if there are going to be changes, it's going to take some time. I don't think that it will be kind of that immediate thing, but maybe in two or three years, the fans should be able to kind of see how Coach Hess has done and you know they'll kind of go from there. So guys, let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast by talking about how the coaching staff can keep this positive momentum going. Inside Carolina has commented a few times that traffic on the site is up. I think just generally hearing from other Carolina fans, they are very excited about this upcoming football season. Recruiting, we've talked about it. It's very, very good right now at a level that UNC has not enjoyed for some years. So in terms of keeping this positive momentum going, how do you guys think the coaching staff can do that as we go through the rest of the summer until the kickoff game against South Carolina in Charlotte? EJ, let's get your thoughts first. What do you think is important for the coaching staff to do over the summer in order to really keep that positivity high? I think it goes back to what we were just talking about. I think that that it's going to be the job of coach has to really keep this team together over the summer. I mean, by NCAA rules, the coaches really can't have too much interaction with the players in the summer, other than maybe a player going up and, and voluntarily spending time with the coach. So I think that they've planted the seed perfectly when they first got here, uh, when they were introduced, they brought the energy, they've had their energy all, all of spring. So I think they've planted the seed. And I think these guys are really, really excited about what they can be. They, they hear other people talking and they've been inside their meeting rooms. They've been inside these practices and they know what type of team they can be. They know that they're going to have some growing pains adjusting to really expectations and adjusting to a new system and a new way of doing things. But I see the excitement carrying over and that's part of that is going to be the benefit of, like I mentioned, them having a new coaching staff and they're already excited about their strength coach and they appreciate him now. So that's just going to strengthen the bond between the players and the strength coach this summer. So I think the work was done already. I mean, there's not much they, they need to do now because the seed was already planted once they were introduced and it's time they got to spend with the team in the spring. So I think that the excitement is only going to grow over, over the summer with the anticipation of them their confidence growing as they finish their conditioning workouts as they hit their maxes as they hit their personal best in the weight room i think that that enthusiasm is going to carry in the training camp so the next step for a successful season is going to be are we going to show up in training camp are we going to see the everything that's from the spring and all this excitement and energy carry over but like i said the seed's been playing and i think that's going to happen yeah, I, I agree with EJ. I mean, right now there's just such limited contact. Well, not right now, but in the summertime, there's such limited contact with uh, your actual position coaches that your strength staff really operates as an extension of the primary coaching staff. And the excitement that, at least from what I've seen, and all, all I have is you know general access to 
player social media accounts and things like that. So taking that with a grain of salt, assuming that all of that is entirely honest uh, information and those are honest expressions of how they really feel, all the guys really seem like they're excited about this strength staff. I, I don't know of a time in college that I was excited to work out. Um, you know, my body hurt. I was tired. I didn't, I wasn't excited about working out. And it seems like guys are legitimately excited about getting in the weight room and getting better and improving and working out and training, um, to be excited about training. I would say will most likely transition or translate over to an increased excitement about playing football. Um, because if you can get excited about training, sky's the limit in terms of enthusiasm for actually playing the game once you get to it. So the strength staff, keeping things interesting and keeping guys on their toes and keeping it fresh and not letting them get into a a rut or a lull in the summertime, um, giving them goals to strive for in terms of maxes and, and incentives and things like that, you know, which I'm sure this staff will do, you know, all good staffs know how to do it properly, know how to manage guys, uh, expectations and how to manage their workload in the summertime, you know, peppering in again incentives and rewards and things like that to keep it all fresh and keep it exciting. The, the strength staff's ability to do that should translate positively in training camp and obviously positive enthusiasm during camp, if it can be sustained, should have a positive impact on the early part of the season. All right, Taylor, let's go ahead and wrap it up with with you, man. When you're looking at the coaching staff and how they are going out to the fans as well as the players, and I think EJ and Mike are, are right on where they talk about the, the strength and conditioning coaches and that staff really keeping the players engaged. But when it comes to the social media stuff and just getting the actual fan base, keeping those people looking forward to the season, how do you think the, the coaching staff can do that as we hit June, July, and into August? I think it's less on the coaching staff and more on the social media department. I follow a couple of college football teams on Twitter, and one of them is you know who who Carolina opens up with the first game, South Carolina. And if you watch their videos, like their videos are like so well produced for both recruits and for fans. And you could see the excitement that the fans get from that. And then if you look at Carolina, they don't really have as much stuff as that, uh, like that inside look into the program. So I think, I think you need more of that getting to know the players on social media to where they're more than just players with helmets on. And, you know, you start to learn their personalities and learn who they are. And you kind of build that like emotional connection with them where, yeah, I want, I want to see, from a fan perspective, I want to see North Carolina win, but you know, when you have this personal interest in this player, like maybe you learn something about him or you find out how, how his life was growing up and you become more emotionally invested in them, then you want to see them do well, even beyond, you know, um, the final score in North Carolina trying to get a win. So I think it's not on the coaching staff because their job is to kind of get these guys ready to be playing in the first game and not necessarily getting the fans excited. But I do think the coaches, if you follow Coach Brewster, he's single-handedly getting fans excited for these first games, just the way he he uses social media. EJ, let me actually ask you one last thing real quick here. As a fan now, how do you think your perspective on this upcoming season has changed since Coach Brown and his staff took over? It hasn't really changed much. I mean, I was was excited. Uh, I knew the feeling I got knowing that uh, Coach Brown was coming back to Chapel Hill. And I think anybody that once they read into the history of that program, if they hadn't 
while they were being recruited, they'll know the success that he had. They'll know the success he's had pretty much everywhere he's been. So my expectations were really for just uh, to, to see a team go out there and play hard and finish the games. I, I didn't really have any expectations as far as wins and losses. I just wanted us to have a, a better season than we did last year, which shouldn't be very hard, but I'm just wanting to see a group of guys out there passionate about playing and out there having fun on one accord. So my expectations, my expectations are about the same. I don't think I can get much more excited than I am. I, I'm just, I haven't been as excited for a, a Carolina football season since I was playing as excited as I am now. I feel like I'm going to be lacing them up this uh, fall, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. All right, that's what I'd like to hear. All right, you guys. Well, Mike had to go ahead and leave, so I will say goodbye to you two, and thank you again for talking with me. We'll get you guys back over the summer, maybe get some uh, insight into how y'all dealt with the dog days and doing two-a-days and all that. Not very well. <laughs> yeah. You can tell the stories about puking into buckets and all those lovely, lovely memories. <laughs> all right, you guys. Have a good rest of the night. All right, you too. You too. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The farmer's dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Don't miss Old Navy's Saturday Steal. All shorts are 50% off. Graphic tees and tanks are 5 bucks for adults, 4 bucks for kids. And sunglasses are 5 bucks. Saturday at Old Navy. Valid 518 select styles on tees, tanks, and sunnies. Excludes active, licensed, and in-store clearance shorts. Hey, Google Pixel fans. For a limited time, get both our Sprint Unlimited plan and the all-new Google Pixel 3a included for under $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit, an 18-month lease, and a new line of service. Visit your local Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1 today. Phone 1107 per month after 556 per month credit. Apply within two bills. Remaining balance due if canceled early. Unlimited basic after 63020. Pay $32 per month per line for five lines with auto pay. Data deprioritization during congestion excludes taxes, surcharges, and roaming. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. Today, we're more connected than ever. We're also more distracted. We've got things to say. But is anyone listening? At BBT, we make sure your voice is heard. We listen and understand your needs so you can live your best financial life. Everyone else may be distracted, but our focus remains on you. BBT, all we see is you. BBT member FDIC. Where are you going with my sleeping bag? I'm going to sleep under the stars tonight. Man, it's winter, and we live in Chicago. But well, it's a beautiful night. Oh, gosh, this isn't going to end well. Kind of like when you thought we should get cable internet. I, the pioneers slept outside year-round, so... Yeah, and most pioneers didn't live over 40. Oh, you don't know that. I do. You want to know how? No. Sort of. I just looked it up on our AT&T internet. Don't get mixed up with cable internet. Get AT&T internet rated number one in customer satisfaction over cable. Switch and get up to 100 megabits per second for $40 a month. Limited availability may not be available in your area. 
Check eligibility at att.com slash internet. AT&T. More for your thing. That's our thing. New approved customers only. Includes internet plans 10 to 100 megabits. Early termination fee and other charges and restrictions apply. Speeds not guaranteed and may vary. Claim based on 2018 ACSI survey of customers rating their own internet provider's performance.